Would you say thanks, Timmy? Is that, uh, is that right? It's fantastic. Uh, my name's Stuart Starr. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life. And uh, it's great to have uh, the Bible read to us and to have that in front of us. So thank you, Tim. Uh, it's much appreciated. Uh, we're starting a new series tonight uh, on the book of Colossians. And what I want to do tonight is to set it up, set the series up for us so that we know what to expect and so that we get in the headspace of the people to whom this letter was written. Uh, I want to remind you at the start that at the end of the sermon, uh, we have an opportunity for Q&A, for question and answer, uh, which could be concerning uh, the things that are in the sermon tonight. Or you could try your luck at another question if you'd like. I'm always up for questions. Um, And so if you have a question on the way through, um, maybe in your Bible you've got one of these Caring Connect cards. Maybe you want to write it on the back so you remember what the question is. Um, that would be really helpful. Uh, well, let me pray and, uh, and we'll begin. Uh, Lord, we do thank you for this letter that's been preserved for us. We pray tonight that you might help us, uh, help us uh, to come to see it afresh, that by your Holy Spirit you might teach us and that we will be prepared, Father, to be challenged and changed so that we'll become more and more like Jesus. Help us to do this, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so question for you. uh, When did you last write a letter? And by which I mean an actual physical letter with pen and a paper. Uh, Can anyone put their hand up if they've written a letter in the last year with pen and paper? Wow, it's much less at this than the other services. Um, Keep your hand up if it was in the last month. Okay, hands down. Uh, that's pretty amazing. Well done, Violet. That's fantastic. And Ruby and Carrie, well done. Uh, now, here's, um, here's where Ruby uh, wrote a, a letter. Um, so it's Compassion Sunday. And one of the things, did you see the beautiful little girl from Sri Lanka saying, please write me a letter? Uh, write to me um, in one of the, uh, the videos. Uh, one of the beautiful parts about compassion is the interaction that we can have through letters. And uh, we've got a picture of uh, a little girl, Jewel. Um, her letter there, and then Ruby's written back to her. And so that's, uh, it's beautiful uh, to do this exchange of things. And, and letters are awesome because they're personal. Uh, I, I send out uh, an email uh, to all, all the people in the church who choose to give me their email addresses once a week, and I'm sure you feel deeply touched by my personal communication. Is that right? Yes, touch. Jeff is touching. That's good. Uh, it's terrible, right? Email, email never feels personal. But when I look at the handwriting on a letter, I feel like I've met the person, right? The way they, sh- the, way they shape the letters, the, the underline, the cross out, there's something profoundly personal um, about a written form of communication. Uh, they're also, because of the nature of taking the time to actually write, you generally write about significant issues. So it's, it's worth reading something that's written to you by hand. And so consequently, a, a handwritten letter is far more valuable than an email or a text or heaven forbid, a tweet, right? It's, uh, it's a far more valuable piece of communication. And I want you to know as we start this series that that's exactly what we're looking at. Uh, there's a place that we're going to see in the maps that are, are to come called Colossae. It's a city. And the people who live there are called the Colossians. They're called Colossians. That's the name of the residents of the city. And so Paul, the, the book that we've got in our Bible called Colossians, is Paul's letter to the Colossians, okay? And it's a handwritten, it would have been handwritten, there was no typewriting, no emails uh, when Paul wrote it, handwritten and sent uh, to these people. So that's the letter that we're looking at. And tonight I want us to see the context and the setting for that letter. 
Well, in order to understand the mindset of the people who were going to receive this letter, I want to tell you three things about the world that they lived in. The first thing I want to tell you is uh, the Roman peace. Uh, Does anyone know the Latin for it? Pax Romana. Okay, the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. Okay, Basically, what had happened was the Romans had conquered the whole of the Mediterranean world from Italy all the way through Greece and Turkey and Israel and all the way around to Egypt down here. All of that was conquered by the Romans. It was conquered and they brought peace, well, by defeating everyone. They brought peace. And then they connected all of the empire up with roads. And I don't know if you've ever heard the turn of phrase, every road leads to Rome. Have you heard that before? All roads lead to Rome? Well, this was literally true in the ancient world. All of the, all of the roads were pointing back to the heart of the empire, which was in Rome. And so the Romans had created a, an environment where people could prosper because there weren't bandits on the roads, because commerce could work and trade could work. And so this Roman peace meant that there was a unified world. It also meant that there was one language. So when Paul wrote to the Colossians, he actually wrote in Greek, if you'll believe that. Uh, the Colossians could understand it, as could the people in Jerusalem and elsewhere. There was a common language and peace. So that's the first thing to know. Second thing to know is this, uh, this piece of jewellery here, um, which is much bigger than it would have been in practice. In practice, it was probably about this big. Does anyone know what it's called? It's called, sorry? It's called a, well, that would be, but it's called a bulla. The Romans called it a bulla, okay? And basically what they do is they put it around the, the necks of their children to ward off evil spirits, right? And now this has not worked at all across all, all the days, but uh, I'll try it again the, th- the third time and see if it works. When, when, we, when we want to protect our children, we send them out with a mobile phone, right? So they've got 3G coverage, you see? If you're, a, if you're a little kid, in Roman times, when we send you out the door, we don't give you a mobile phone, we give you a bulla. And the bulla contains spiritual power to keep all the evil spirits away from this little child. So basically, it's your own little spiritual uh, force field to protect you. Because in the, in the mindset of the people here, uh, regular pagan people, it was a terrified world. There were dangerous spirits at the end of the street. There were phases of the stars and moon that you needed to pay attention to. If you cut up a chicken and you looked at its insides, it might be telling you something to be worried about in the future. It was a world filled with dangerous spiritual powers. The third thing that we should know is that this area that Paul is writing to is full of real prosperity. These people were well off. Um, In the Roman world, everyone wasn't well off. There would have been very poor farmers. But these guys lived in cities and they were relatively rich. And that meant they had time to build temples to all the different gods, but also time to think about philosophy and ideas. And so their prosperity meant that they were wealthy enough to have time to think and to worship. So it was a pretty interesting little world that Paul was writing to. Now, where exactly are we talking about? Here's um, our geography lesson uh, for the night. I want to tell you about this man, Paul, who wrote the letter. Uh, When he was born, his name, does anyone know what his name was? Saul. Yes, very confusingly, he was originally called Saul. And he was known as Saul of Tarsus. And here's Tarsus, the city here. Um, It was a very important trading town on the coast. And he grew up basically in a town where everything was happening. And because it was such an important town, 
the, the members of that town were Roman citizens. And you go, oh, that's amazing. No, you don't really, but, but it's actually a very important thing. What it meant was that they were protected by law in a special way, and everyone didn't have this privilege. But Paul did as a citizen of Tarsus. Now, he grew up, he was a smart man. It would have been, uh, an, a, it was famous for its universities. But Paul, in addition to being uh, well-educated, was educated as a devout Jew in Jerusalem. His parents sent him all the way down here to Jerusalem to become uh, trained as a Pharisee. And the Pharisees are basically the most hardcore religious Jews that you could find at the time. They were devoted to God and to the Scriptures. And so Paul would have been having uh, had the information of the Greeks, the education of the Greeks, and the education of the Jews. He was an incredible, incredibly educated man. Uh, we're going to find that our focus is on an area over here called Ephesus. And uh, in the uh, first reading uh, that we had tonight... Um, uh, we heard the letter, and in the one that Tim just brought us, we heard about, a, um, a, a, from the book of Acts, some things that Paul did in Ephesus. And so if we come in a little bit closer, uh, we can see here's Ephesus, and there are three cities all together that are near, um, uh, well, that, that are surrounding Colossae here. So one of them is called Herapolis, the other one's called Laodicea, and the third one is called Colossae, that's the one our letter is written to. And the distance from Ephesus to Colossae uh, is probably about 160 kilometers. And you go, oh, great. Uh, it's about as far away as Goulburn. Okay, so quite a big distance. Uh, and then these towns are about 15k apart. Uh, so they're, they're kind of sister towns. So probably about South Camden is the sort of distance that we're talking about between these cities. So let me give you a little bit more information about them. Uh, Laodicea was a city famous for its thermal hot springs. And uh, it, it became a centre of healing and uh, people would travel to it and it became rich and wealthy because of this really unusual thing that was happening there. Uh, the church in Laodicea is actually mentioned in the book of Revelation uh, where there's a letter written to the seven churches um, in this area. And Laodicea is one of them that's mentioned. And it's quite ironic because their love for Jesus is being described there as lukewarm. It says, you are neither hot nor cold. And because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Now, that's a pretty awesome insult for a town who is famous for its hot springs. Do you see? They were lukewarm in their love for Jesus. Uh, so that was, that's Laodicea, famous for its healing springs. Then you've got Herapolis, uh, which was an amazing town built on a hill uh, that was famous for its wool and for its cloth. And uh, here we can see there, uh, this is from modern day, uh, this is the, uh, the preserved amphitheatre, and it's probably the best preserved Roman amphitheatre in the world because it was such an extraordinary town and, and such an extraordinary thing. So Herapolis and Laodicea are pretty awesome towns. Then we get to the one our letter is written to called Colossae, and there's nothing very striking there at all. <laughs> it's actually a very average town. In fact, uh, you can see this very nondescript mound here, See how these have got all ruins around them? That is the ruins of Colossae, a big hill. And uh, no one has excavated it, except I got told this morning someone from Australia and Perth is going to start doing it this year, so who knows. But uh, there you go. Colossae wasn't actually very interesting or exciting as a town. Um, it was a bit of a backwater. And one of the um, interesting things I got told is that it's probably the least important city that Paul wrote a letter to. 
Yay, Colossae. Uh, one more piece of information for this area. Uh, about 300 years before this letter was written, an emperor in Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq, picked up a bunch of Jews that were living there and dropped them into the middle of modern-day Turkey, 2,000 families. It's estimated that the time Paul is writing that there are 50,000 Jews living in the middle of what we call modern Turkey. So in this area around the cities that we're looking at. And we'll see that this Jewish influence comes in a little bit later. So how did Paul go from being a very well-trained and educated Jew to being someone who's writing to a church? Well, you might have heard the story. Paul was on his way to Damascus where he was going to persecute the Christians. He decided, I'm a good Jew. These Christians are weirdos. They need to be thrown into jail. That's what he was going to do in Damascus. And along the way, a bright light shone from the sky. And being a good Jew, Paul said, Who are you, Lord? I assume expecting to be told, I am God, right? And instead, the voice from heaven changed his life. The voice from heaven said, I am Jesus, whom you have been persecuting. Paul, in that moment, was converted. God was revealing himself through his son, Jesus. Paul had been wrong. And from that moment, the rest of Paul's life is devoted to making Jesus known in the whole world. In fact, Jesus had told him, I am sending you to the Gentiles. You need to go to all the people who aren't Jews and bring the good news of Jesus. And so Paul had a strategy and a plan. This is how he did it. He said, I've got to take the good news to the whole of the world. How am I going to do it? Well, I'll go to key cities, the most important cities. So, uh, so clearly he would have gone to, uh, to Camden. No, okay, he probably would have gone to Sydney and Melbourne and maybe Wollongong. I don't know whether he would have made it to Canberra. Um, but he went to key cities because they were the hubs from which everything else happened. He went there to plant churches, to start churches, and he would go to the Jews first. So as a Jew, he'd go into the synagogues where the Jews met, and he'd say, you know what, I know all about your religion, and you know how you're longing for a Messiah. Well, we found him, and his name is Jesus. That's good. If you don't know that the Messiah is Jesus, come back. We're going to learn some more about that. But that Jesus is the Messiah, and he'd say to the Jews, hey, we found the Messiah. And for a while, people would respond, and maybe there'd be some Jewish converts, and then eventually they'd get antsy, and they'd kick him out. And he'd go, that's fine. I'm now going to go to the Gentiles. And he would speak to all the non-Jews in the town and hang around until he thought it was time to move on or until the antsy Jews chased him out. Uh, And that would happen quite a bit. And from then on, Paul would pray for the churches that he'd started and feed them. Paul was a pretty diligent guy, and uh, he did a whole bunch of journeys from um, Antioch here all the way through this area to teach people about Jesus. In fact, he had three separate journeys. Looking at the, up on the screen there of his third one, uh, his third journey started in Antioch. He got across to Ephesus there and eventually made his way all the way to Corinth before coming all the way back down here to Jerusalem. An extraordinary trip. And some of you might have been traveling in this area. Has anyone traveled in this area? I know you guys have. Beautiful, right? It would be a great holiday if you did that. But in the ancient world, they didn't travel like we travel. This was an amazing commitment to say, I want to make sure everybody hears the good news about Jesus. So in Asia, this 
pink bit here. You know, we think of Asia and we think, um, uh, you know, Japan and, and uh, Vietnam and whatever. In the ancient Roman world, this pink section here was called Asia, okay? So have a listen to what, uh, what happened from Ephesus. Uh, we're in Acts chapter 19, the reading uh, that, uh, that Tim brought us. See, me- remember the, the pattern I told you? Have a listen for it here. Paul entered the synagogue, this is in Ephesus, and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. Obstinate means angry and hard-hearted. Some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. That's, they spoke badly about Christianity. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Okay, so have a look up there. Where does he start? Starts in the synagogue. When that doesn't work out, he moves to the lecture hall. That's the public place. How long did he do it for? Well, it says he did it for three months with the Jews and then for two years with the Gentiles in the public lecture hall. What was the impact of that? Something extraordinary happened. Through his preaching, it says all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. This is extraordinary, right? So for two plus years, might have been three years, Paul, preaching in Ephesus, this hub that everybody has to come back to, reached out and the whole of the province of Asia heard the good news, an extraordinary outcome. And so we have a letter written to the church in Colossae, in the middle of Asia. What's remarkable about this letter, firstly, is where the author is. Paul is writing to them from jail. Have a look at um, Colossians with me. If you go to the end of the book, in Colossians chapter 4, uh, you can see this in verse 18, the last verse of the book. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Now, he wasn't Mr. T. It wasn't jewellery, right? Remember my chains. No, it's only the old people are laughing at me. Okay, that's good. He's saying, I'm in chains. I'm in jail. I'm physically in jail. Remember my chains. So Paul is writing to them from jail. We also see something remarkable about this church. When Paul is talking about the good news, which he calls the gospel here, have a look at verses 7 and 8 of chapter 1. He talks about the gospel. He says in verse 7, You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. The truly remarkable thing is that Paul didn't plant the church in Colossae. Paul was in Ephesus, and maybe Epaphras had come into Ephesus to buy, I don't know, something, and he'd heard the good news, and then he'd taken the good news 160 kilometers back to his hometown and told everyone there. And all of a sudden, here's a brand new church that Paul didn't start. So it's pretty remarkable that Paul cares about them. And he writes to these two cities. Uh, again, at the end of the book in uh, chapter 4, we see this. After this letter, that's Colossians, has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. In other words, there's a church down in Camden that I dropped a, um, I dropped a letter off to as well. Read my letter and then do a swapsy with them. And here the other letter that I wrote to the Laodiceans. Do you see? 
Uh, and so Paul is saying these, these cities are connected and he cares about all of them, even though he didn't start those churches. Well, Paul's writing because he sees a danger in these churches. They've started well. Epaphras has done a good job. They've heard the good news, but there's a danger for the church. And I want you to see how many different angles the danger is coming at this young church from. The first angle that the the danger is coming from is from the Jewish people around. So, oh, you've become a Christian, have you? Oh, that's really good. Well, if you're really serious about God, what you need to do is add in all of this teaching about Sabbaths and circumcision and food laws. You won't be truly obeying God until you do all of that. Can, Can you see? So people with a Jewish background were loading up onto these new Christians and saying, you need to be good Jews in order to please God. The second angle had to do with the pagans around them. The pagans were always worried about the spirits that were out there and the powers in the world, and and they had philosophy. And they were saying, well, Christians, it's great that you've got Jesus, but do you know how to engage with a dangerous world filled with spirits? And so there was pressure on them to find other solutions to keep protecting them. And then thirdly, you've got ascetics. Now, does anyone know what ascetics are? I went to a trip to India, which was amazing. And I went down to the beach. And it was 40 degrees or something and 90% humid. It was truly appalling. The temperature was crazy. We're down on the beach, which I think the person who took me there was trying to show me how good the beach was. He'd never been to Australia. But anyway, we went, we went to the beach, right? And on the beach, there was a tower that would have been probably as high as that light up there. Okay? And there was a man lying on top of the tower. And it said on a little, little bit of paper down the bottom that the man had been living on the tower for 30 days or something, um, uh, suffering for world peace. And I just looked at it and I went, that's bizarre. Apparently he let down a little bucket and got some stuff up, but he hadn't come down for 30 days. This idea that by harshly treating our bodies, we can have some impact in the world. That, that was, that's, that's asceticism. So uh, abuse your body to achieve a spiritual outcome. And so there were people around this young church which were saying, if you want to be holy, beat your body up. Ascetics. There was also another bunch called the mystery religions. And, and the mystery religions basically would talk about, there was, um, there was a couple of them, one was, about, uh, one was concerned with bulls and, and various other bits and pieces. But what they basically say is, we've got a secret club. It's got very special information in it. Do you want to be part of our club? You can't tell anyone. And you need to come and do all these secret rites. You've got to do all these secret... Uh, there's no rites that can redeem us. There's no... The song that we sang before, it is finished. Do you remember? This is a thing saying, it's not finished. There's lots more you need to do. Come and find all these secret things. We know about visions. We can tell you the names of angels. We can tell you the order of angels that you need to worship. We've got insider knowledge. In essence, what was happening to this tiny little church was everybody was saying to them, Jesus is not enough. You started by understanding that Jesus was crucified for your sins. You understood that death was beaten because he was raised from the dead. You understand that he rules in heaven. But it's not enough. 
It's not enough. And so this little church is in danger of losing Jesus amongst a storm of things trying to take them away. So Paul writes, he writes to this little church and he writes to save them and to say to them, guys, hang on to, hang on to Jesus. I'm going to tell you some of the things that he highlights for them in order to keep them on the straight and narrow. And you'll be able to look out for these as we go through the series. The first thing that Paul does is to lift Jesus up high. In fact, arguably, in uh, Colossians chapter 1, we have the most awesome picture of Jesus in the whole of the New Testament. Have a listen to this. In uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 17 to 19, it says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything, he might have the supremacy. So you want to, you want to deal with uh, spiritual powers? Well, I want to give you Jesus who's awesome, is what Paul says. Who's awesome, who's above all things. And so I guess as we look through the book of Colossians, I want us to consider, is our, is our Jesus big enough? Right? If we, tra- if we traded the awesome, supreme ruler of the universe for a much more tame Californian surfer who's got some life advice for us. Is our Jesus big enough? The second thing that Paul writes to the Colossians is uh, he has a public pathway to maturity. Whereas all the other religions were saying, here's secret knowledge, here's something for the special people, Paul's going to say, I've got a plan for all of you. Have a listen to uh, to verse 28 of chapter 1. He, Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. See, Paul's saying, I'm committed to make sure all of you grow up in maturity. Not just uh, the women who can go to a special uh, secret meeting. Not just the men who can afford a special club. But the slaves, the children, the men and women, everybody mature in Christ. And as I've started to read this book of Colossians and look forward to this series, I've been really struck. Do we long for maturity? Do we long for maturity? See, I think we celebrate conversion and we celebrate uh, over here. We have a value of enduring. We love it if you're still a Christian. Keep going. But I want us to think about, do we want to mature you? Do we want you to grow up so that you are better equipped today than you were yesterday, so that you're growing in your knowledge of God? Do we long for maturity? Thirdly, Paul tells them that rituals are finished. You don't need to be ritual people anymore. Have a listen to chapter 2, verses 16 to 17. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. He says, don't get caught up in Judaism again. You don't need that. And I guess I want us to think, do we, do we have the temptation to reduce our relationship with Jesus to a religion. I went to church today, tick. And if I want bonus points and a gold star, I'll go to a life group through the week. Awesome. You should love me, God. That would be a shame when he invites us to know him. Rituals are finished, Paul will tell us in this book. Uh, fourthly, he says that the evil spirits have been defeated. Have a listen to how he speaks of the cross in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15. 
Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them by the cross. See, you used to be afraid of spirits, but now what Jesus has done is defeat all the spirits. He's been lifted up higher than everyone, and he rules unopposed. Game over for the spirits that you used to fear. And I guess I want us to think as we go through, are we still superstitious? Do we talk about having a lucky day or an unlucky time? Yes? Are we the people who go, oh, well, you can't change your fate. I guess it's written in the stars. Do we get a sneaky peek at our horoscopes? Do we get our palms read? Heaven forbid. We are people who believe that the spiritual realm has been defeated and that the highest power is Jesus. We are free from fear because of the victory of Jesus. So Paul talks all this theology, but it's going to be very practical. This, this, this series is going to be very practical. And so he has a thing I've called resurrection morality. I'll, I'll explain what I mean. Have a look up here. You can see in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ... Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. What he says basically is, you have been involved with Jesus. You've died with him, you've left your old life, now you've been raised up and you are thinking about heavenly things. So act differently, act differently. And so we have a resurrection morality. And I guess the question I would ask is, are our minds on heavenly things? Or do we just go, I wonder what interest rates did today. I wonder what the traffic's like on the M5. I wonder when my exams are due. I... Does our mind shape our behaviour because we are with Jesus and thinking on heavenly things? He then issues a huge challenge, I think, for the church in Colossae and for us still today. Um, He gets very practical about how homes should be organized, how we should relate together, and and you'll see why he says this. He says, do not lie to each other. It's very practical. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here he says, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And you're like, what does that mean? Okay, here's the thing. Are there any people who like the NRL here tonight? Hardly any, my goodness. All right, okay. I see that hand at the back as well. Okay, all right. Uh, I don't know. What do I ask you? I I don't know how to divide you up. How do I divide you? How would I divide you? I could do all sorts of snaky things, but I don't really... Like, uh, we we could do... You know, what would our world say? Are you a homeowner or a renter? Okay? Are you you a teenager or a tweenager? Um, Are you... uh, we, 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 we divide the world up. One of the things that we like doing is splitting everything up. Here's what he says. Slave or free, that was a massive division in their society. Jew or Gentile. And he says, no, none of those divisions work. Instead, what I am looking at, he says, when I write to you, is one humanity in Jesus. Where race doesn't matter, where status doesn't matter, and where age doesn't matter. And we think to ourselves, well, I'm glad he wrote to them because we're all past that. No, we divide ourselves all the time. And so I'm challenged as I read this to ask, as a church, do we express our humanity in Jesus? Do we express that? At supper tonight, 
Will we talk across cultures? Will the NRL people speak to the rugby union people, right? Will the people who hate sport entirely speak to either of those two groups? Will we be divided on things that the world will divide us on or will we find unity in Jesus? I think that challenge and that encouragement is as good as it's ever been. Finally, Paul tells us that we need to lift our eyes up and think about the rest of the world. He says in chapter 1, in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing amongst you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Do we care beyond our corner? I love that we've got to um, Compassion Sunday. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, it makes us think of Cebu, and it makes us think of Sri Lanka, and it makes us think of the places around the world beyond here. We need to think about our brothers and sisters beyond our corner, and Paul will help us to do that. I'm going to bring the sermon to the end with trying to think, what do we do? How do we learn from Colossians? How do we learn from Colossians? I want to suggest there's, there's a way of thinking about the movement from becoming a pay, from being a pagan, that's someone who doesn't believe in God, so they don't have Jesus as their king and they don't understand any of the benefits of Christianity. That's a pagan, that's first culture. We then have a second culture, okay? And second culture is Christian culture where we have Jesus as our king and where being in his kingdom shapes how we run our houses, how we think about our morality. So first, pagan, second, Christian. There is now a third culture in our world, a post-Christian culture. Now, that's Australia out here, okay, around us. It's post-Christian. And what that means is they want all the goods of the kingdom. They, They want to talk about unity. They want to talk about human rights. But they don't want the king, you see? That's what our our world around us wants. They they want all the benefits of the kingdom goods without the king. All right, that's that's our world. Now, what do we do with that? Well, when you're the Christian culture and you're speaking to the pagans, which way is that going? That way, okay. What we do is we try and incarnate the word of God, which means we try and think, how do I take this beautiful truth and help you to understand it? Okay, that's going this way. Then we also go the other way where we're trying to talk to post-Christians and we're adapting what we're saying. We're going, how do I take these beautiful truths and help you to understand it? There's a danger here for us, okay? Bear with me. Um, Paul was doing this. He was a Christian and he was speaking to the people who were pagans. And so what he was doing is he was changing his language and his look to make the truth understandable. We aren't doing that, mostly. Because we live in a post-Christian world. And so what we're trying to do is take Jesus to people who have kind of, as a society, rejected Jesus. And so we take the language and look of our society and we shape that to get the truth of hearing. In other words, we try and look like our world to help them to hear us. There are two dangers. In the first century, the danger was syncretism. Don't worry about the name, okay? The danger was, we'll, we'll take what you know about philosophy and about mystery religions and we'll sprinkle a little bit of Jesus on top and stir it together. So we'll, we'll, we'll try and adapt Jesus to your world, but you don't have to change very much. That's the danger in the first century. For us, we have a different danger, liberalism, where we say, oh, the truth of Jesus is so hard, I'm going I'm to give up some of the things I believe in in order for you to be able to hear the good news about Jesus. Are there some things that we won't talk about at work? Are there some Christian things that we find it very difficult to talk about with our friends? 
Do you know this feeling? Are there things that we throw out in order to go, oh, I can't speak about that? The challenge in our age is to take a little bit away from Jesus in order to help people hear some of it. Do you see? What Paul is going to do for us in the book of Colossians is he's going to show us what is most important so we can do the job of speaking to our world better. I want us to be living through this series a life worthy of the Lord. And I'm going to pray that as we listen to the book of the, uh, the letter to the Colossians, that we live more and more clearly for Jesus so that our world might hear the good news. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that Paul wrote to the Colossians. We thank you for his care and his love for them. We pray that we might stand as a group of people who will live worthy of you in a world that has decided that you aren't the most important thing. Father, help us to learn these lessons well and empower us to speak for Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen. All righty, it is time. Oh, Jeff, you're coming to help me, are you? Thanks, mate. Um, it is time for our Q&A. So you might have a question to follow up uh, from what I've said tonight. And if you do, I would love to hear from you. Do we have a question to get us started? There's typically one. Very good. Janet, thank you. Opening bid. It's always important to have the opening bid, Janet, you see? You feel the love, obviously. Yeah. This is probably slightly to the side, um, and if you don't know the answer, that's fine, but you mentioned the letter swap with the Laodicean church. Uh, that letter's clearly not in the Bible. Is it lost, or is it not important? Uh, it's a really great question. Uh, so swap the letter. You, you take your letter and then swap with the... Now, as I said this morning that it's pretty funny um, that the, the church... The big church in Laodicea got a letter from Paul and it went to the little church and we've lost that letter. And the little church's letter went to the big church and that one's been kept. Um, Now, I'm being facetious. I don't know. Um, Someone said to me this afternoon that it's possible that the book we have called, uh, sorry, the letter we have called Ephesians may actually be the letter to the Laodiceans which is an interesting one. I've been unable to verify since I got told it. Um, but uh, it's, it's, the book of Ephesians has less personal greetings in it than you would expect, and so it's possible that it was a circular letter, one that was designed to be read by a number of churches. And so maybe that's the closest that we get to the letter to the Laodiceans. Is that okay? Yeah. Great question, though, and you're obviously paying attention, Janet, so that's good. Thank you. Uh, someone else? Another question? Yeah. I guess there's a lot of people that I have met in my work that believe in ghosts and all types of different spirits. I know you mentioned that you know, yeah. that, you know that they're defeated. Um, I don't really know what my question is, but we'll discuss. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. What. What should be a Christian view of yeah. um, those types of powers in our world? Really helpful question. And I think um, come back and come for the rest of the series, obviously, would be the answer. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the, the short answer would be a couple of, couple of points to sort of shape up the answer. But first thing to say would be 
Um, it's easy for us living in a secular world to say there aren't any spiritual realities. Everyone who thinks that is just silly, right? There's physics and there's chemistry and, uh, and biology, and if I can't touch it and measure it, if there isn't a scientific paper about it, it doesn't exist. That's wrong, okay? That, that is wrong, but that's a mindset that's out there. So the first thing we'd say, there is a spiritual reality, and there are demons and there is a devil, and they have an impact where they want to enslave people. Okay, that, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to make us rebels against God. Okay, and where you see the person who gets the palm reading, for example, right? They go, oh great, I've had my palm read, I'll never come back again. Is that what happens? No, as soon as that happens, they go back again and again. And can you tell me more? And can you tell me more? And that's about enslaving to a spiritual power. And so my, my thing would be, first of all, we don't write it off. Secondly, that it's real and it's dangerous, as in there are real spiritual entities behind it that have a malevolent end. They, they want bad things. Thirdly, Jesus has defeated it. doesn't mean that they don't exist anymore, but that ultimately they don't win. So when Jesus meets a demon in the start of Mark's gospel, the demon calls out, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Have you come to destroy us? And Jesus says, quiet, get out. Okay. Now, the reason that the Spirit called out in that way is that it recognizes Jesus' ultimate authority. Have you come to destroy us? That's a weird thing to say to a Jewish teacher, right? No, I'm just a bloke who's about to tell you some good life tips. No, no, he sees the awesome ruler of the universe incarnate in, in presence there, right? And he knows the end. The end is Jesus wins. So he says, have you come to destroy us? And Jesus goes, quiet, get out. Yes, I'm going to do it, but not right now, and I can't explain it to the rest of the people in the room, so just shut up, can you? Okay? That, that's basically what happens in that scene, okay? So Jesus does win, okay? And he will defeat all of the spiritual powers. And so the reason that you never want to sign up to a, a spiritual power that isn't God is it. It is working to kill you and enslave you. That's what it's doing. That's its end. Okay? The devil has come to steal and kill and destroy, is what, what Jesus says. He says, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. So anyone who's mucking around with spiritual powers is enslaving themselves to something that wants to destroy them. Now, that, that sounds heavy, doesn't it? But th that's what's going on. So you would never meddle with that. So if I was ever talking to someone who's in that area, I'd say, you need to stop it. Because whatever advantage you think you have, they are playing you to your own destruction. But I'm with the guy who wins at the end and better than that, loves me and wants what is best for me. Do you see that? So what exchange would you make there? I'll, I'll put two things before you. Certain destruction or eternal life. Which of these would you pick? Don't, don't take too long, church, okay? Are you with me? What would you pick? Eternal life, right? With Jesus, who's the victor over all. And, and so, long answer round, I said something. Was that vaguely helpful? Good. Um, questions at the back, Jeff? Jeanette? ...into the powers of evil spirits, and especially in that passage we read where the demons were kind of on assignment against Paul and gave him a hard time, and he went through shipwrecks and snake bites, and I think that was sent, you know... Um, by the enemy against him um, to stop the spread of the gospel. And I think sometimes Christians think if bad things happen to you, you're not praying enough or you're, there's something wrong with your, your Christian life. 
And I think today we can think the opposite, that actually we're immune from it because we're, we have salvation, but I think we still fight against the, the enemy and we don't actually give that enough recognition um, in that way. Really helpful. Do, do, do you remember the story that was in that bizarre story in Acts chapter 19 reading, where the people were using the name of Jesus and they went to do a de, a, 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 um, an exorcism? Did you see this? So the seven Jewish sons, and they said, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, get out. And the demon says, remarkably, Jesus I know. And Paul I know about. Now that's extraordinary, right? In the demonic realm, the work of Paul was known. Jesus I know, Paul I've heard about, but who are you? (laughs) Right, And it says, then he overpowered them, beat them up, and they ran naked and bleeding out. Now, long way round, there is spiritual opposition, and you're right to call it out. Um, in, um, in Ephesians, we're told to put on the full armor of God, remember? Uh, to t- take up the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, so that we can take our stand against the enemy's evil schemes. So you're absolutely right, Jeanette. We can be naive and think that there isn't spiritual opposition in our world, and that's wrong. And particularly if you're a Christian standing up, you should expect such opposition. However, we will not be defeated because we stand with the one who is Lord over all. But really helpful point. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Was there another question? Yeah. See, there are people out there who are looking for closures when they want to speak to their parents who passed away. And looking for medium, there is a show on TV called Medium. Is that evil? Yeah. So people are looking for closure and they're on this TV show called Medium and it's certainly not the only place that occurs in the world, but on the TV show and they're wanting to speak to their relatives. Um, And and my thing would be, um, is it possible that there is a spiritual entity behind that? Absolutely. Um, Is it possible that there's some TV game show stuff on the TV show, that's possible too. However, mediums out in the world beyond the TV for sure, and there would be spiritual powers behind that. Um, are you talking to your dead relative? No, you are not. Whatever information is revealed to you, that is not happening. It says in Hebrews 9.27 that man is destined to die once and after that to face the judgment. That's what it says. So where is the dead person? They are not hanging around waiting to provide mental relief to their distressed ones. That isn't the spiritual state of people after they've died. And so whatever voice comes to you, it's, if, if there is a, spir- a true spiritual element to it, it's an evil spirit trying to mislead you. Okay? And so I would say absolutely run away from that. And you want to counsel people against that because it's going to lead to bondage to the person who's the channel for that spirit. So I can probably talk further, but is that, is that helpful? So I'd say it's very dangerous and we should not be involved. And whatever's happening on TV, just remember a whole bunch of stuff on TV is just fake, but it doesn't necessarily mean that there isn't something behind it in all the other places that you might come across mediums. Yeah. Wow, we found ourselves in pretty deep water there, didn't we? Come back. Colossians is amazing. It lifts up Jesus. Who is Jesus? The supreme incarnate ruler of the universe. Okay? And it's going to be fantastic. So come back next week. Tim's going to 
punch us all over the place and take us to the great stuff of uh, Colossians chapter 1. Um, I'm going to finish there. Um, and uh, we are going to get out our Caring Connect cards. Uh, if you are new with us, we would love you to let us know that you are by filling in one of these cards. They're in the Bible, um, or if there isn't one in your Bible, they're on the back table there, and you can fill it in, and uh, you, could, you might say, I'd like to join a life group. Life groups meet through the week, and uh, you might say, I'm not in one of those. I'd like to do that. Write it on the card. Um, or you might like to just let us know, tonight that you're new, in which case you can tick that box that says I'm new, um, and I've got my new piece of uh, uh, props from the front. Uh, there's a big one of those out in the foyer. I'm going to go and stand underneath that. If you're new, come and talk to me. I'd love to speak to you. Uh, that'd be great after the service, um, just in the foyer there. Um, or you can talk to Paul and find out how to sponsor a kid. That would be fantastic. But can I encourage all of you, um, we have a meeting on Monday, Monday morning, uh, with the staff team and the pastoral care team. And we pray through every one of these cards. Is there something happening in your life at the moment that you would like prayer for? I can tell you that tomorrow morning we will read your prayer and bring it before God. So I'd love to encourage you to take an opportunity to fill those cards in. Uh, You might want to ask me some questions. You might want to do a whole bunch of things. I'm going to fill mine in now. They go in the letterboxes on the back table um, at the end of the service. So I'll give you a moment to fill those in. That would be great. Now, band, I didn't sub in the thing, so we're going to do one. Is that all right? And then you can play it afterwards. Is that, is that okay? Great. Uh, we're going to finish with a song uh, about Jesus. Who would have guessed? Uh, is anyone here thankful for Jesus tonight? Good. I see some hands. That's at least persuasive. Uh, why don't we try and sing some praise and thanks to God for the awesome stuff that he's done. Let's stand and sing Jesus, thank you.